pray together. God's Word tells us that when the Magi, the wise men, came to welcome Jesus into the world, some of the most beautiful verses in the whole Christmas story say that after they left Herod's presence, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. And it says, And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground, and they worshipped him. And Father, that is the essence. It's the sum total of what we're here to do tonight. Father, we are here to worship, and we are here to rejoice. To worship you, the great, almighty, creator God. The one who made all things, who controls all things, who is with us at all times, and has a plan for our redemption for us to spend eternity with you. And Father, we're here tonight to rejoice as well because the way you accomplished that plan, the way you carried it out, was by what we celebrate every year at Christmas, what we're here to celebrate tonight, which is the birth of Jesus Christ, a real little baby who really was born 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, who grew up to become, as you prepared him to be, the Savior of the world, the Redeemer from sin, the one who gives hope to the hopeless, life to those who are dead in their sins, the one who heals and transforms and does so much more. And Father, our prayer tonight, my prayer tonight is, as we gather here, that, that Father, you would do more than, again, just stir our hearts and feelings, but you would compel us, that you would prompt us, regardless of the condition in which we arrived, to worship and to rejoice. Father, we've done that with our songs, and, and we've done that with the reading of your word, and now we're just going to spend a few minutes talking about the story itself. And Father, as always, my prayer as we go into this time is not that I would be the teacher not that it would be my voice that we hear, but that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would be the one who comes to teach us. To take the Word of God, fueled by the Spirit of God, to accomplish the will of God in the life of every person here tonight. Father, the fact of the matter is you know each and every heart in this place. You know the ones that are rejoicing and you know the ones that are resisting. You know the ones that are joyful and you know the ones that are full of sorrow. And Father, you know how to meet. It's amazing. It's miraculous. You know how to meet each one of us right where we are. And so, Father, as we open your word, guide us in truth, because your word is truth, and it has the power, the ability to, to speak to us the very words of God. As we open your word, I pray that by the power and the presence and the ministry of your Holy Spirit, you'd guard us from misunderstanding and confusion. Father, some of us came with questions tonight, and we don't want to leave with more than we came. Father, I pray that for the next few minutes, you would... By your Holy Spirit's great power, deliver us from whatever we carried in with us that threatens to hinder, to thwart the preaching and the hearing and the doing of your word. Father, we pray that you'd sweep it all aside so that for the next few minutes, tonight, above all nights, we might see Jesus. Father, may we see Jesus clearly tonight as we study your word together. May we see Jesus only tonight as we get into your word together. And Father, we're going to leave here in just a little while. And my prayer is we leave rejoicing, not because we came to church, not because it's Christmas, not because we sang familiar songs that bring tears to our eyes, but because we sat at the feet of Jesus, who came as a baby and now rules as king and loved us enough to lay down his life for us. We ask all these things in his mighty name and for his eternal glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, again, good evening. We really are 
glad. We are so pleased to have each and every one of you here tonight. And I don't know if you brought a Bible with you. If not, it's okay. If you did, I want you to turn in it to the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. And if you didn't, it's just fine because you were given a bulletin, a flyer when you came in. And if you open it up, uh, right to the inside, on the left-hand side of the page, are the verses of Scripture, the Christmas story that I'm about to read for us. And I'm a big believer that, that it's good to hear and, and to see with our eyes as well the Word of God when we read it together. So grab a Bible or grab a bulletin and follow along, because what we've been doing, and particularly if you are our guest here tonight, you, uh, you may not be aware that over the course of the month of the December, through this Advent season, We've been preparing ourselves, we've been entering into the Christmas season by talking about, by looking in the scripture at what I refer to as birth announcements. You see it here on the screen behind me. And that's because in the story the Bible gives us of the birth of Jesus Christ, there are four very distinct moments when an angelic messenger, an angel of God, shows up to announce, to tell someone that the baby Jesus, the Savior, is on his way. The first of those announcements we looked at a few weeks ago was an announcement to an elderly man named Zacharias. He was told he was going to have a son. That son would be John the Baptist who would prepare Israel, prepare the world for the arrival of Jesus Christ. The second one came to Jesus' mother Mary. The third one came to Jesus' earthly father Joseph. And tonight we look at the fourth, the final, and I believe the most glorious angelic birth announcement of all. The announcement that was made to the shepherds who were out in the fields watching over their flocks by night. It's a story recorded for us, as I said, in Luke chapter 2. And I'm just going to read the story in its entirety. You may have heard it thousands of times before. You may have never heard it in its entirety before. But I ask you to listen as we read it together, and then we just take a few minutes to talk about what it might mean for us as we've gathered here tonight. So Luke chapter, tw- chapter 2, verses 1 through 20, this is what the Word of God says. It says, Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there's been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart, while the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as it had been told them. Back in the year 1903, 
Russian Tsar Nicholas II looked out over the grounds of the Kremlin, that great, there's a picture of him, just so you know who I'm talking about, looked out over the grounds of the Kremlin, the, uh, the, the massive expanse, the capital of, of Russia there in the heart of Moscow, and as he looked out over the grounds of the Kremlin, Tsar Nicholas, true story, noticed a certain soldier, a sentry who was posted at what appeared to be a very unusual spot, and he appeared, from Tsar Nicholas's point of view, to have no specific responsibility whatsoever, whatsoever so he inquired. He asked some of his military men, what is this soldier doing? Why is that spot always being occupied? And upon further investigation, what was learned was that back in 1776, this was 1903, Tsar Nicholas II's predecessor, Catherine the Great, had been walking the Kremlin grounds in early spring when she noticed the first flower of spring had broken through the surface. It had grown up through the ground, it had bloomed, it had blossomed, and she said in that moment, post a sentry on that spot so that no one tramples underfoot the first flower of spring. And for 127 years following, nobody ever told the sentries to move. They just replaced each other, one after another after another, so that long after that first flower of spring in 1776 had died, Russian sentries continued guarding that spot, and for 127 straight years, nobody ever bothered until Tsar Nicholas to ask, why? What in the world is this guy doing there? And I share that story with you tonight as we spend or we enter into this time in God's Word, because there's a sense in which I feel the same way about some of what we just read in Luke chapter 2. Not the part about Jesus being born, of course. That's essential. That's central. We know that is, in fact, the story, Jesus Christ being born. No, the part that that I think it's worth, and sometimes when I'm studying God's Word, I try to ask these questions, not to just follow the obvious and and, and see what's there that we've heard a thousand times before, but I look for what may be be something that, that we haven't taken note of before. And as I read this story again this year, I began to ask myself the question, what in the world are these shepherds doing here? Why are shepherds and this message, this birth announcement given to them, part of the Christmas story? Because I really believe, if you look again, if you're following along in your Bible, that this story could have ended very nicely and neatly at verse 7. When we were told that Mary gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in cloths, laid him in the manger, because there was no room for the inn, and we could have moved forward from there. Because as far as I can tell in studying God's word, at that moment, all the prophecies were fulfilled. The miracle of the incarnation, God taking on human flesh, was accomplished. The baby had been safely delivered. Mother and child are resting comfortably. Joseph, who may have been 16 years old and probably delivered the baby alone himself in the stable, had picked himself back up off the floor. (laughs) The story's done. The miracle is complete. And, And so what I'm saying is that in terms of sending God's son to earth, his plan at that point seems to be finished. And so again, it makes me ask, why the shepherds? Why are we told that part of the story as well? Why is this final birth announcement in God's word? And and if you look at it, if you do the simple math, why do they get twice as much ink in the scriptures as the story of Jesus' birth itself? Jesus' arrival is told in seven verses. They get something like 13 or 14. There's something about them that God wants us to know was a very, very big deal. What are the shepherds doing in this story? It has to be more than simply giving for the last 2,000 years little boys bit parts and Christmas pageants everywhere. 
There must be something more to the story than that. So one final time tonight, we're going to look at the question. Those of you who've been with us throughout the month, those of you who have not, you can jump right in. You've not missed anything that we aren't going to talk about here tonight. But we're going to explore the questions of why this birth announcement was given to the shepherds, why it was made to them specifically, and then, of course, what difference does it make? Why should it matter to you and me as we've gathered here on Christmas Eve tonight? So for the next few minutes, here's what I want to do. I simply want to share with you, I want to point you to three remarkable things about this birth announcement. Three remarkable things about the birth announcement given to the shepherds who were out in the field. So let's get started. The first one is this. The first thing that grabs my attention about this birth announcement The story of an angel speaking to shepherds in a field is that this particular birth announcement bypassed the halls of earthly power. It bypassed the halls of earthly authority and power. Because when verse 1 mentions, and again, you've heard the story before, Caesar Augustus says, Now, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. I want you to know that Caesar Augustus is mentioned for more, or his name being mentioned does more than than simply give us some sense of at what point in history Jesus Christ made his appearance on earth. Now, I believe that the mention of Caesar Augustus also tells us something that in God's view, where the leaders of this world really rank and what he thinks of them in comparison to everyone else. Because you see, this particular Caesar's name, his given name was not Augustus. His name was Octavian. Uh, He was one of many Caesars who ruled in the Roman Empire. But at a certain point, after he had been ruling the Roman Empire, the Roman Senate voted to give him the name or the title Augustus. No longer would he be Octavian. He would now be Augustus. And you know what Augustus means? Holy One revered one. That's how much they thought of their emperor. In fact, up to that point, the historians tell us that title, Augustus, had never been given to anyone other than a Roman god. That's what they thought of their emperor. They thought that he was, in fact, a god. In fact, so great were this Caesar's deeds and so mighty was his power That another source notes that that when this particular Caesar Augustus died, people actually comforted themselves that he wasn't really dead because, of course, gods don't die. He's still out there, they thought, somewhere. Yet, here's the thing. When sending the announcement that his son had arrived on earth, when sending the announcement that the Messiah had been born, God bypassed Caesar's throne room altogether. As he did the throne room of Herod, the puppet king ruling over the land of Judea. As he even did Israel's own high priest. Bypassed them all, each and every one. In fact, I would contend that God didn't just bypass all those characters occupying thrones of earthly power. He actually used them without their knowledge and without their permission to carry his plan out. That God was moving the pieces around all the time. Because you see, all Caesar thought he was doing in verse 1 was doing what politicians do best, taxing the people. (laughs) He was sending them back to their hometowns for a census. He wanted to count heads so he could pick pockets. And that's all he thought he was doing. It was time to collect the taxes so we'll make everyone go and pay their unfair share. 
But under God's direction, what did that census, that taxation order do? Well, it got a young teenage couple named Mary and Joseph 80 miles down the road from their home village in Nazareth to the little town of Bethlehem, where 400 years earlier the prophet Micah had said, that's where Messiah, the Savior, will be born. What am I saying? I'm saying the rulers of the world were doing their thing, but God Almighty was running the show. When it came time to announce to the world that his son has arrived, he bypassed those guys all together, all of them. And instead, secondly, here's the second thing, remarkable thing about this story, is the news was first delivered to ordinary men. The news that Jesus, the Messiah, had come was delivered to truly ordinary men. In fact, the, the, the word, the description ordinary might be generous because what you may not know about shepherds in those days, at one time, shepherding had been a glamorous profession. Some of the greatest and wealthiest men in the Bible were shepherds, Abraham and Job and Jacob and others. But by the time of Christ, shepherds were society's outcasts. No one wanted to hang around with shepherds. They were the lowest in the lowest place. Some said the only people lower on the social scale in those days were lepers. And their work was dirty, and it was dangerous, and it was tedious, and it was thankless. The nature of it made them unfit to ever enter the temple to go and worship God under the rules of the Old Testament law. They were perpetually unclean. And not only could they not, because of that, go in the temple, they were not welcome, generally speaking, in the city. They were unwelcome. They were outsiders. They were outcasts. In fact, some even suggest that these particular shepherds who were out in the fields keeping watch over their flocks by night, that by virtue of the fact that they were on the night shift meant they even ranked lowest among the shepherds because everybody else worked during the day. You guys stay up all night. Work the late shift. The ordinariest of the ordinary In other words, what I'm saying is just like the announcements that were given to Zacharias and then to Mary and then to Joseph before them, these shepherds were, in fact, utterly ordinary men. They were living utterly ordinary lives, going about their utterly ordinary business. When, without the slightest warning whatsoever, they were on the receiving end, as I said already, of the biggest and best birth announcement of all. This is again what the Bible tells us in verse 9. It says, An angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which is for all the people. And a moment later, it says, verse 13, Suddenly there appeared with that angel a multitude of heavenly hosts. That means thousands upon thousands upon thousands of angels praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. You know, once when I was a kid, maybe nine or ten years old, I was walking into a store through a parking lot. I was with my uncle and my brother, and I found a $10 bill laying in the parking lot. And at nine or ten years old, back in 1981... That was a really, really big deal to me because in 1981, you could buy four packs of baseball cards for a dollar. You could buy four candy bars for a dollar, and I just found 10. And, and in my, my nine or 10-year-old mind at that point in my life, I thought, what more could a guy want? 10 bucks. I didn't work for it. I didn't ask for it. And I don't have to share it with anybody. I was fired up about 10 bucks. 
But of course, as I got older and discovered how the world works, I realized that as nice as it was at the time when I found that cash, 10 bucks doesn't go very far in the great big wide world. I don't know what I ever did with that 10 bucks. I have no doubt it didn't last long. I'm saying that looking back now and putting it in perspective, that discovery was not as great and glorious as in the moment I thought and had made it out to be. But I would suggest to you that with these shepherds, the very opposite thing took place. The very opposite kind of scenario. Because though the the appearance of thousands upon thousands of angels in the sky, something we will never understand fully until we get to heaven and see it for ourselves. But but that that moment, that song, however long it took, though that came and went in an instant, I think the, the memory of that song, the words of the angels rang in their ears and rang in their hearts for the rest of their earthly lives. And that the more they thought about it and that the more they dwelt on it, the bigger and better and greater it got when they realized what they had been on the receiving end of. Because once again, what were they told? Well, they were told, the angel said, according to verse 11, that today in the city of David, Bethlehem, there has been born for you a Savior. Savior means rescuer. Savior means deliverer. Not just from the jams and the trouble we all get ourselves into, but from the root of the jams and troubles we all get into. A Savior who will deliver us from our sin. But he's not just a Savior. For unto you today in the city of David is born a Savior who is Christ. Christ means anointed one. Christ means Messiah. A being unlike any other who's ever set foot on earth. Who'd come on a God-designed mission to restore the relationship between God and us that sin had not only broken, but destroyed. And that Savior unto you today is born in the city of David. A Savior who is Christ. The last thing the angel said was the Lord. Means he was also the one in absolute authority who answers to no one. Because there's no one greater than him to answer to. He is Savior who is Christ the Lord, the one with the power to do the work of salvation that we so desperately needed. And the most incomprehensible, here's why I think the more they thought about it through the rest of their lives, the story got bigger and better and greater and more thrilling is because this Savior who'd been born, who was Christ the Lord, the most incomprehensible thing of all was that verse 12, in verse 12 they were told they would find him as a baby. As a baby. Wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger, the tiniest, the, sweet, the weakest, the most fragile of forms is how the Almighty Savior, who is Christ the Lord, entered into this world. And that explains or helps explain why the third remarkable thing about this particular birth announcement is that once the announcement had been delivered and once the news began to spread, listen to me, it left no life that it touched unchanged. It bypassed the halls of power. It was delivered to ordinary people. And it left no life Unchanged. Here's my summary of the final six verses of the story. Sort of the conclusion of, of the announcement and the response of the shepherds. Three things happened. First of all, we're told in the Bible that the shepherds responded enthusiastically to the message they were given. It says, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem, see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Listen to the urgency of, of the way Luke writes. And they came in a hurry 
and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. They responded enthusiastically. Verse 20 says that upon arriving, they rejoiced enthusiastically. It says the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they'd heard and seen, just as it had been told to them. And then the third thing, the conclusion of of Luke's account of Jesus' birth tells us is that after responding and rejoicing, then they related all that they had seen and heard to anybody who would listen. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered. Some other translations probably more accurately say were amazed at the things that were told them by these shepherds. And really the word to latch on to there is the little word all. All who heard it were amazed at the message that these shepherds were running around proclaiming. Everyone who heard the shepherds' birth announcement story had some kind of opinion, some kind of response to it. Frankly, I I have no idea what would have amazed them more. The news, the story these shepherds were telling, or the fact that the, the message had first been delivered to shepherds, the people that nobody wanted to be around, nobody ever wanted to talk to. But either way, it doesn't matter. The bottom line is simply this. It proves what I've said to you, those of you who've been here a while, many, many times before. It is impossible. Everybody say impossible. Impossible. To truly encounter Jesus Christ and walk away unchanged. You can't do it. You can't. You cannot truly encounter Jesus Christ and remain unchanged because the message, the news, the announcement that the Holy Son of God became a little tiny baby who grew up to live a perfect life, who died a sacrificial death on the cross, who rose from the dead three days later, and at this very moment, though you can't see it, is sitting on a throne in heaven, running the whole show still. That news, that message, listen, you may love that message, Tonight, there may be some of you here who hate that message. There may be some of you here who are utterly confused by that message. But here's the bottom line. Once you've heard it, you can't ignore it. You have to decide what you're going to do with it. Because it changes, it impacts every life, every life that it touches You must choose, every one of us must, whether or not we're going to believe it. The choice is yours, but you have to make it. And if you already do, if you already believe, you can, as these shepherds did, you can just savor the fact that the more you ponder it, the more you think of it, the bigger and the better and the greater it gets. Which brings us back around to the question I asked at the beginning, so why is this story here? Why the story of the birth announcement to the shepherds? And honestly, the answer is not complicated at all. It's very, very simple. The reason that it was shepherds, that it was ordinary folks who were on the receiving end of the most glorious birth announcement ever given, that shepherds were told first about history's most special delivery was to announce to this world and everyone in it, in no uncertain terms, whatever, that God loves people like you and me. That God, let me say that again, God loves people like you and me. Enough to give up his son. Enough to send him here for us. Yeah, he was born as a baby. That's beautiful. That one, that's wonderful. But he grew up and died in our place for our sins. 
He loves us, listen to me, he loves us enough to want us with him forever, dirty and broken and ordinary as we are. You don't believe me, the Bible says so. 1 John 4, 9 and 10, let's look at it together. This is what the Bible says. It says God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. So as we close tonight, let me ask you a question. It's the only question that you really need to leave wrestling with. Do you have what these shepherds had the night they met Jesus? Do you have what these shepherds had after they encountered Jesus? What am I saying? Do you have peace? Because glory to God in the highest, peace on earth is what Jesus came to bring Do you have joy as these shepherds did after meeting Jesus Christ? It says they went back rejoicing and glorifying God for what they saw. Earlier we saw the Magi's response was to rejoice exceedingly with great joy. I don't know what that means, but it's really, really big. Tonight, here's the question. Do you have hope? Do you have hope? And if you don't, you need to learn from these shepherds. That's why their story's here. And you need to follow these shepherds all the way to the feet of Jesus. And say, Lord, like you saved them, I ask you to save me. Because the big idea this Christmas Eve night is that the gift has arrived. The gift has arrived. Jesus Christ has come. Don't miss the message that he came for you. Father, we thank you that that is the message. That is the real, true Christmas story. That there was a baby and there were some shepherds and there were some wise men and Mary and Joseph. There were some gifts and there was some cool stuff that happened and there were angels in the night sky. But all of it, Father, when we boil it all down, comes down to one simple but eternally significant truth. Jesus Christ came to save lost sinners. Father, there are some people in this room tonight who've never heard that message before. And there are some people who've heard it before, but they've not answered or responded in faith to it. Father, I don't know who they are. I I don't know their names or their faces. But you do. And in this moment, Father, press hard on their hearts. And give them in the quietness, the stillness of this moment, the ability to say, Lord Jesus, save me a sinner. And then seal them into your kingdom and your family forever. And Father, for those of us who've come knowing the story, coming to worship, Father, let us be changed by this night too. Not by this message, not by what I've said, not by the songs we're singing, but by the the eternally greater and greater truth that somehow in some way God became a baby to rescue us and to save us forever. Father, we don't understand it, but we choose to embrace it and to say glory to God in the highest, peace on earth with with men whom he is well pleased. 
Father, we thank you that you loved us that much. We pray we leave rejoicing in the truth that Jesus Christ came. And it is in his name and for his glory that we pray. Amen.